Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I'm so excited to bring this topic to you guys because my awesome guest today, we got connected on Instagram. She sent me a message, and I really, really loved what she wants to share. So her name is Jennifer Rowland, and she is a therapist, founder of the Eating Disorder Center, co-author of the Inside Scoop to Eating Disorder Recovery, who specializes in treating clients with eating disorders, body image issues. Issues, depression, and bipolar disorder. So we got connected. We've been talking back and forth for a couple of weeks here on just getting into this topic and really wanting to bring forward the strategies that she's discovered that really help out with this intersection between eating disorders and bipolar and what she's seen the most effective in the clients that she works with and serves. So Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on and I can't wait to get into this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about the intersection because I don't see that many people talking about it. Absolutely. And that's something that really stuck out to me because we were talking back and forth. And this is something that really came to my mind is there's not a lot of conversations out there about this. I feel like you see certain things with everything separately. Like you'll see more bipolar on its own or depression on its own or anxiety or eating disorders, but you don't get to see a lot of them together. So really being able to have that come together from her perspective and really what she's seen is really powerful. And you actually wrote a book, The Inside Scoop to Eating Disorder Recovery. So talk to me about the journey of, you know, sharing, sharing the experiences that you've come across in that book and really what sparked the desire to put that out there. Yeah. So I actually got to co-write the book with one of my good friends who is also recovered from an eating disorder and an eating disorder therapist. And we were just sitting down and talking one day. I think we both had the mutual dream of writing a book, but ultimately we were thinking about how in the eating disorder recovery space, there weren't a lot of books that we felt like encompassed all the topics that we thought were important. So we thought it would be really cool to write a book and have each chapter be kind of a different topic that we personally found helpful in our own eating disorder recovery. Um, And so that was kind of how that idea was um, born, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And getting into the research side of things, when you guys came together and you were mentioning, you know, not a lot of books that cover these different topics. So when you mentioned that, like not a lot of the topics that are important, what topics did you guys feature in, in the book that you didn't see in other areas? Yeah. So we talked about a variety of different kinds of eating disorders, a lot of the eating disorder books, and it's getting better, but historically they focused more on anorexia and left out binge eating disorder, orthorexia, other kinds of eating disorders. We also talked about fat positivity and weight stigma, which is an important topic to eating disorder treatment and recovery. Um, And we thought it was nice because it was both a professional perspective of our experience in treating clients with eating disorders, but also we were able to sprinkle in some personal tidbits to that as well of our own recoveries and what had helped in that journey. So we really tried to look at like a bunch of different eating disorder topics and to be inclusive in terms of like the diagnoses that we talked about. Because like I said, most traditional eating disorder books do not highlight, for instance, binge eating disorder. And we had a chapter on that. So that was something that was important to us. 
Yeah. And then especially getting into highlighting what isn't talked about or what you commonly would think about when you think of eating disorder, what comes to mind, or, you know, you might say, oh, when I think of that, this is what I think it would look like, but really showing more of the reality of the different things that aren't as explored. And something that sticks out too, is when you get into that perspective, you talk about the intersection between bipolar disorder and eating disorder. So what, what research or what have you seen with the relationship between those two? Yeah. So I've worked with a fair amount of clients and currently have clients on my caseload who struggle with both. And I think that this intersection is almost never talked about from what I've seen. And to be honest with you, I think that um, even in the therapist communities I'm in, I don't see a lot of talk about bipolar disorder and strategies for coping and living with bipolar disorder. Um, so I just think it's a topic that's not talked enough about in general. But in terms of the intersection, there's a few important things, I guess a lot of important things, but we have to look at first off how when somebody is struggling with bipolar disorder, whether it's type one or type two, they have episodes of mania or hypomania um, as well as depression. And all of those mood states can impact appetite and eating behaviors. And it's different for everyone. But commonly, when folks are hypomanic or manic, there's less of a pull towards food. And, you know, they feel like they can sustain on little food and little sleep. Um, and when people are depressed, it can also go either way, where some people have depression and they completely lose their appetite, or other people turn to food when they're feeling depressed as a way to cope. And so having bipolar disorder, where it impacts your appetite, can obviously make it tough if you're in eating disorder recovery, because having your appetite impacted can make it even harder to, let's say you're in recovery and you have a meal plan from a dietitian, or you don't have a meal plan, but you're just trying to eat your meals, when suddenly your mood disorder is causing you to completely lose your appetite, that is hard for anybody, much less if you have an eating disorder and you struggle with getting enough to eat, um, or you struggle with, you know, binging and purging, whatever the behavior is, obviously that lack of appetite or increased appetite can impact somebody's eating disorder recovery. Um, something else that's important to highlight, and again, I'm very careful to say that like everyone's uh, mental illness kind of shows up differently. So there's no like one size fits all or stereotype, but a lot of clients I've worked with with bipolar disorder describe feeling very out of control in terms of their mood. Even if they're on medication, they might be experiencing some mood instability or times when the meds aren't working and they have to switch their meds. And while eating disorders aren't choices, um, it can become a coping strategy for some folks or a way to cope when their mood feels totally out of control and that can feel really destabilizing. And then restricting my food or binging or purging or compulsive exercise makes me feel that false sense of control and helps me to cope when I can't control my mood because mm -hmm. my brain is just kind of going haywire into these different mood episodes. Wow. And I love how you bring up to like the relationship between the moods and then the appetite and really talking about how that's highlighted because that makes me think of too, like when you're thinking about bipolar and being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and the process for that, you mentioned the clients that you work with who have um, the diagnosis with bipolar and eating disorder and really seeing that show up. When it comes down to that, do you usually see the, the diagnosis has happened together or is it more separate or what is the process like in terms of the diagnosing side for the eating disorder? 
It depends, but I find that in my experience, it's usually more separate because a lot of clinicians don't have experience with both. Mm -hmm. So maybe they saw one therapist who gave them the bipolar disorder diagnosis or a psychiatrist, and they saw somebody else who gave them the eating disorder diagnosis. Um, so unless you're seeing a therapist, which by the way, would be my recommendation if you do struggle with bipolar disorder and an eating disorder, obviously it's best to see a specialist because many therapists don't have any training in either of those conditions. And I'm sure you've seen that. I mean, of course, I can talk about the importance of seeing an eating disorder specialist, but also with bipolar disorder, there's many people who might treat an eating disorder, but not have knowledge of bipolar disorder. And then they're, you know, invalidating the fact that you're struggling with mood swings. They're not having any idea of how to cope when you're feeling manic, hypomanic, or depressed. Um, I just think from what I've seen, there's a general lack of knowledge among therapists of both of these illnesses. They just tend to be illnesses that therapists don't get a lot of training in unless they seek it out on their own. And so even if you're well-intentioned, you can do more harm than good mm. when working with individuals or like even not noticing if somebody's in a manic, hypomanic or depressive episode and having them, you know, escalate in terms of their symptoms because they haven't, you know, reached out to their psychiatrist or, you know, done some kind of intervention. Yeah. And just what sticks out to me with what you just said is how it's more almost more separate, right? So you might go to someone for for the bipolar diagnosis and then eating disorder. So you might be with a therapist or in some kind of treatment where the mood swings are, oh, this is due to the eating disorder. And then like you said, not being able to, to know really kind of to do the digging of where it's coming from. And another thing you said too is eating disorder can become a coping strategy for dealing with bipolar if you're maybe undiagnosed, right? Or maybe recently diagnosed, or you know, you don't have a lot of support or directions of how to handle it or different things that you've come across that help with it. So when you're talking about that, what coping strategies have you seen to be effective for helping out with both? And that's really what I love about you is that you have the perspective on both ends of both bipolar and eating disorder to be able to help in both those areas and not just a specialty in one. So from what right. you've seen, yeah, with those clients who have both, what are some things that, you know, they've shared with you or things that you work through to help them figure out something that is, is helpful? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different coping strategies. Um, one thing that we look at, which I didn't mention is I talked about how, of course, you know, when you're depressed, hypomanic or manic, that it can impact appetite and make it harder to eat. <clears throat> and so first we talk about, you know, is there something you need to do in terms of helping to stabilize your mood? Um, it's not the be all end all for everyone, but I'm a big proponent of psychiatric medication for bipolar disorder. So I might say like, let's contact your psychiatrist and see if they can tweak your medication to try to help stabilize your mood. Um, and then additionally, We'll look at obviously helping them use strategies such as, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with dialectical behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. um, but strategies like opposite to emotion action. So if I'm feeling super depressed and I don't feel like eating anything, like pushing myself to nourish myself and make a meal, um, basically like behavioral activation strategies for depression. What I didn't mention before, though, that I forgot to bring up around the food piece is that um, they impact each other. So when you're, let's say you have an eating disorder and you're restricting, that can, has a demonstrated impact on your mood and can lead to more depression because you need enough food in order to create serotonin. 
um, which is a neurotransmitter that is involved in regulating mood. So you can actually make your mood disorder unintentionally make it worse by not eating enough. And I would say that also certain medications are less effective when you're not eating enough. So you're helping clients to build motivation and use strategies to help them to get enough food in and to make sure that they're reaching out, of course, to their psychiatrist around the mood stabilization piece. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, for depression, we look at a lot of opposite action, behavioral activation, social support, because there's a lot of research around that. Typically, I always tell clients when they're depressed, it's like, you take someone who's not depressed and you put them in a room and tell them not to shower, not leave their bed and not see any friends or do anything for a few days. And that person will probably start to feel shitty. Um, So the behaviors that depression can cause you to do can exacerbate the depression. So we have to work on, okay, I'm going to call a friend and make a, like a meeting to hang out with them, even though I don't feel like it, because it will make me feel better in the long run. And depression is all about not feeling like doing things and the things that you don't feel like doing are the very things that will help. Mm -hmm. Um, Then when it comes to hypomania and mania, we have to be working on that impulse control piece, right? Which could also um, exacerbate impulsive behaviors like binging and purging, for instance. Um, So we would use coping strategies that I talk with with clients in terms of the binging and purging, but just in general for hypomania and mania, we're looking at things like, which I feel like a lot of therapists, again, just don't have knowledge of, um, but they're basic strategies like having a checkpoint person, having someone in your life who you run big decisions by, you know, if you're feeling hypomanic or manic, um, waiting 48 hours before purchasing anything, like adding to cart or having a loved one hold on to your credit cards when you're feeling hypomanic or manic. Um, so that's also another important strategy, just like around that impulse control piece, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. I love all the strategies you mentioned too. And just t- starting with, like you talk about with the depression, mania, and hypomania really leading to difficulties like w- not wanting to eat or either eating, not wanting to eat or wanting to eat too much or different things like that. And then talking about working on stabilizing the mood first. So getting in contact with psychiatrists to, to figure out the medication, because I know that's such a difficult, challenging thing that so many people run into. I ran into myself back when I was first diagnosed and then trying to figure out what's working, what's not, and then communicating that. And I really love how you bring up too the DBT therapy and really bringing up to the different impacts that the food can have on mood, because that makes me think of something that we mentioned at the beginning here with body image and, and the impact that body image can have on mood as well. So what kind of things have you seen as far as like work with clients when it comes to getting into those conversations around that with body image and mood, how do they impact one another? Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of clients who say that their depression is exacerbated or triggered by negative body image, that they feel so depressed, sometimes even suicidal over negative body image. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a relationship with body image and mood. And there's so much to unpack in terms of body image and so many different tools and exercises One really basic one I like to start with is taking a piece of paper and drawing a line down the middle and on one side writing things that are feeding my negative body image and on the other side things that are feeding positive body image or could feed positive body image. And we start to look at, and again, to be clear, negative body image is no one's fault. We live in a society full of anti-fat bias and full of thin ideal standard stuff. So it's not that it's your fault. However, it's easier to work on what we can control versus, of course, we want to try to change society too. Um, But 
long story short, basically we'll look at all the behaviors that have been research shown to feed into negative body image and starting to chip away at those behaviors, which could include body checking, stepping on the scale, um, you know, avoiding intimacy with a loved one. And then we start to look at what could we add in. Um, and for instance, like one of the most research proven ways to improve body image is to expand the images of diverse bodies that you see. So having the client follow a bunch of people their size and bigger on social media. So they're not seeing all just like the same, you know, thin people all over their social media accounts. Um, so really starting to unpack, again, there's a lot to unpack, um, but just on a very basic starter level, looking at all the behaviors that are strengthening that negative body image and all the ones that are, um, could add to a more positive body image. And I think you can also do that same exercise for bipolar disorder as well. What are mm -hmm. all the behaviors that are, again, you can't control if your mood is unstable or that you have bipolar disorder, but what are the things that make me suffer more in my bipolar disorder? Like maybe I don't take my meds all the time or I stay up all night when I'm feeling hypomanic and don't try to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then what are the things that help me maintain my mood stability as wow. best I can? I really love that exercise and especially the description you gave of too, how it works for both. You can do it for eating disorder and bipolar to really identify because I feel like that's so helpful, especially for people who are really visual and seeing things on paper or writing feelings out or experiences out on paper really helped you to, to go back and reflect on that. So really being able to, to have that and write out, here are the things that are adding to positive body image and here are things that are adding, adding to negative body image to really say. And then also, I think it's really great to do that just to kind of see how frequently those things are coming up, whether it be right. different things you say to yourself or different thoughts that start to kind of conspiral and get out of control, or maybe the environments that you're in, right? Or different people you have in your life that can be abusive and having these things come up where you're told certain things. And I also love the fact that you bring up the exercise of wanting to chip away at those behaviors because it's really hard to do that once we don't know what they are, right? So I love that you bring that piece to awareness of here's what they are. Okay, we define them. So here's what we can do to work on them. But like you said, focusing on what you can control, right? So, you know, maybe forgetting to take medications or just really struggling with where you're at right now with, with your medications, being on this one or this isn't really working and I've tried so many different things and just really being able to do that. So what are some of the reactions or responses that you've gotten back from clients who tried this exercise? Um, well, it's usually something I introduce early on, because like mm -hmm. I said, there's a lot of other stuff to unpack as well. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But the reactions have been good, and I think it's been helpful for people. And one component that you mentioned, which is also important, is the tracking behavior, both for eating disorders and bipolar disorder, especially in the beginning, to get a sense of how often am I body checking? How often am I saying negative things to myself? How often is my mom making comments about my body? Because it's very hard to change a behavior if we don't know, we're not even aware that it's happening. And sometimes the negative body image can become so automatic that we're just saying things to ourselves all day long and not realizing it. Um, and similarly, I think for bipolar disorder, tracking, again, as long as it doesn't become compulsive, can also be helpful. Like even doing like a DBT diary card of how was my mood today? Did I take my medication? Did I get enough sleep? Um, I think logging those kind of things and logging depressive thoughts or logging, you know, actions that I felt were influenced by hypomania, I think that can be useful. And then you can bring that to therapy and say, hey, here's what's been going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really being able to, like you said, go back to that 
the avenue of tracking the behaviors to see how frequently these things are coming up too. And that really brings me to wanting to ask you more about your center, right? And being and founding the eating disorder center and getting into that. So with starting that, how did that come about to want to start this? Because I, I know you might have answered it a little bit in the beginning with the different things that weren't covered, but how did that come about and what help did you have in facilitating the creation of that? Yeah. So long story short, I was a therapist in private practice and business was really busy. There were a lot of clients reaching out and I felt badly turning people away because I didn't have a lot of referral sources that I trusted that knew what they were doing with eating disorders and shared my philosophy. And so a colleague mentioned to me casually one day, have you ever thought about starting a group practice? And I was like, I've never, ever thought about that. But that's when the seed was planted. And then it kind of just came together. Um, Looking back, I mean, I think I had help. I can't remember if she started when I started the center or later, but I do have a kick-ass admin person who definitely helped with some of the administrative end. Nicole, she was great. Um, And then my dad helped a little bit too because he is a lawyer. So he was able to help a little bit with some of the legal aspects. Of course, I got an actual lawyer, but behind the (laughs) scenes, he was able to help with some stuff. And, you know, my family was supporting me. Um, But it was really... Yeah, it was mostly me at that time. Um, And my passion was just trying to provide this specialized treatment for people with eating disorders, as well as co-occurring mood disorders, because it's such a common co-occurrence. And, um, you know, we also have a few therapists who subspecialize in OCD as well. So there's a lot of overlap between eating disorders and OCD. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's just been amazing that I've been able to build this and that we're able to work with people and serve way more people than I'd be able to serve as an individual therapist ultimately. Yeah. I love that too. Cause especially like you mentioned people reaching out and then turning, turning people away with not having like a lot of people that you knew really trained in, in eating disorders, because that's something that I never really realized either. If I think back maybe like 10 years ago before I even got my diagnosis and even before then struggling a lot with body image and different things like this and not, not knowing that there was someone or a place that you can go for that or a, a center that you actually ended up creating that that blends the two together. So talking about eating disorders, talking about body image and bringing bipolar, different um, co-occurring mood disorders together to really tackle both of those. And because I feel like if other people are also feeling like me, you know, maybe feeling like I'm focusing on this one thing or having a really hard time separating yourself from the label of the disorder. So being able to like separate yourself from this is, this is something that I am or something that I have, like what, what have you seen to be effective in separating, separating you as a person from the struggles that you're facing with bipolar um, or eating disorders? Yeah, I think helping to doing some parts work and helping to externalize that that is like one part of you, but it's not all of who you are. And I'll even sometimes in session do role plays with clients where like I play the eating disorder, they play their authentic self and we have a dialogue back and forth and then we switch. So I think that's a common thing, right? Where people, there's a few different ways it presents. Some people have a lot of shame about their diagnosis. And so that can come up. Whereas other people feel really fused and like, this is everything that makes me me. And there's nothing else to me outside of this diagnosis. It can kind of go some different ways, but I think helping people to start to see that, again, that's a part of them, but it's not all of who they are. 
and also working to help them to let go of some of like the shame and stigma. Um, I find that with both eating disorders and bipolar disorder, there's often a lot of shame and stigma associated with it. Although I think it's good that like celebrities have been coming out like Selena Gomez and other people talking about their personal struggles. So I think that's helpful. Um, but, you know, as a therapist, just helping to normalize that it's normal, unfortunately, for people to feel worried about what other people are going to think or that kind of thing. But that the close people in your life should love and care about you regardless. And if that impacts whether somebody loving loves and cares about you, that's like not someone you actually want in your life. Mm -hmm. um, so really helping clients to also unpack some of that like shame and stigma or thinking, you know, I'll never be successful because I have bipolar disorder or this eating disorder, you know, and helping to challenge some of those beliefs because there's a lot of people who have bipolar disorder and eating disorders or, you know, who've recovered from an eating disorder, but still have a mood disorder who are very successful. So it doesn't have to be this like life sentence where you're condoned to a life of misery, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you really help to unpack that and get into doing that dialogue and that back and forth of really deconstructing those beliefs and what you talk about with shame, right? Or of either being fused to the diagnosis of this is all I am and there's not much outside of it and really, really identifying and really letting that kind of wrap around you so much or having it be the complete opposite end. So really, like you said, kind of getting to the root of that to really challenge those beliefs and where they're coming from. So that's something that I know that would have been a huge benefit that is something, you know, being younger, looking back. And that's really why I try to bring people like you on here to share these experiences and what the work that you're doing with clients and just kind of helping them deconstruct that. And where is this coming from? What is the root of it? Maybe like you said, and getting out some of that bad, like you're saying, so those bad relationships or different things like that, that are really, you know, you're, where you're recognizing these patterns coming up too. So, and then also like you mentioned too, having people being more outspoken about it and wanting to share their experience right? Like with, you mentioned Selena Gomez with a documentary and other celebrities coming forward too and talking about struggles with eating disorders and bipolar. And I know sometimes people tend to think, okay, well, this might be only something that girls deal with, right? Oh, only girls mm -hmm. deal with eating disorders. But that's what I love of being able to give that support and more of, more of that community to everyone, right? Men, anyone else who's out there who's dealing with that too. So the one question I always love to ask people is when it comes down to the show, right? So Live Well Bipolar, when you hear that name, what comes to mind with you from what you've seen in the work that you've done for, for being able to live well bipolar? I think ultimately it's kind of what I said a little bit before, this idea that just because you struggle with bipolar disorder, that doesn't mean that that's all of who you are and it doesn't while it can, of course, I want to validate cause like pain and suffering, right? It's not easy to live with that. Also, people with bipolar disorder have so many strengths and assets and abilities. And there are plenty of people with bipolar disorder living very full, you know, meaningful lives. And so mm -hmm. recognizing that just because you struggle with this or like, let's say you're in a really dark period, because I know suicidality and bipolar disorder can kind of go hand in hand recognizing that this doesn't have to be kind of your forever struggle of struggling this intensely and that there are things you can do to manage and cope and it's not going to go away, but there are ways that you can kind of live your best life despite having a bipolar disorder diagnosis. Um, 
And so to me, when you say like live well by fuller, that's kind of what I think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really love how you talk about exemplifying more of the strengths and you are not your struggle or the struggle that you're facing right now and really bringing forward more of those strategies that you've seen to be effective with the clients that you're working with too. And again, you know, I want to thank you just for taking the time to come out here and just get into this conversation and really share what you've seen to be effective in terms of some of the exercises, you know, different patterns that you've been helping clients identify when it comes to this intersection that we don't really hear about a lot, like you mentioned, between bipolar, eating disorders, and really being able to help people shatter that stigma and release that shame and really discover more of the root of where those thoughts are coming from, where these behaviors are stemming from, and really how to take action on it. And to get back to that point of what we can control and really how we can start to open up that door more of addressing the things that are going on and what can we do about about this and just shifting that focus. So before we hop here, I want to have you tell everybody, where can they go to get more of you? Sure. Um, so you're welcome to reach out to me or a member of my team, whatever, whoever you want to get in touch with via our website. It's www.theeatingdisordercenter.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming out and just taking part in this conversation and just reaching out too to really bring this forward and just get into more of this discussion. It's been awesome talking with you and I can't wait to just feature more of these strategies and things that you mentioned here. And um, I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes as well. So eatingdisordercenter.com to direct people to. Let me get your Instagram too so I can share sure. that. Um, my Instagram is Jennifer underscore Roland. Perfect. Awesome. So I'll put that down there too, you guys, and go check her out. And she has a lot of great resources there on the page as well as the website as well. So again, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming out. And you guys, thank you so much for being here and tuning in and wanting to stay curious and learn more things that can help with being able to live well bipolar. All right. Bye guys. Awesome.